A Glimmer of Light Micah Micah is a much-neglected book of the Old Testament. It forms part of the Book of the Twelve, the last portion of the Nefchim, the prophetic scrolls of the Jewish Tanakh or scriptures, the minor prophets of the Old Testament, which incorporate the books from Hosea to Malachi, the final book in the Old Testament. Micah stands at the centre of the Book of Twelve. The first series of these books covers a period in the 8th century BC when Assyria was in the ascendancy in the ancient geopolitical world. The second series of the Minor Prophets deals with the rise of Babylonian and Persian power in succeeding centuries. So Micah stands at the hinge, the turning point, in the ancient geopolitical world. In the opening verses, Micah gives a very brief introduction to himself. His name is Micah, which means, who is like the Lord? This intriguingly opens and ends the prophecy. We read, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. The first verse of the first chapter. And then in the closing chapter, chapter 7 and verse 18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? Who is a God like you? It's a play on Micah's name. The focus in this short prophecy of Micah is on God, not the prophet Micah, who simply articulates the word of the Lord. And Micah was from Moresheth, an obscure village 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem in the low hill country of Judah. More than likely, he was a farmer, like his fellow minor prophet Amos, who prophesied in the same century, to the northern kingdom of Israel, or Samaria. Micah's preaching and prophecy spanned the final third of the 8th century BC, roughly in the years 730 to 700 BC, at the zenith of Assyrian power. As such, Micah's ministry was marked by two important landmarks. First, the invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel or Samaria by the Assyrians in 733 BC and its eventual disappearance a decade later. And two, the subsequent invasion of Judah by the Assyrians in 701 BC. During these three decades, a background of fear and darkness pervaded the people of God. And in the face of Assyrian aggression, what hope, what light was there for the people of God? Both Micah and his contemporary Isaiah speak into this background. Micah viewed the Assyrian threat as God's judgment on his rebellious people 
who had rejected his ways for generations, either in the northern or the southern kingdoms. Micah exposed the social evils and religious hypocrisy of his day in his short prophecy. His preaching was direct and focused. And as a result, the southern kingdom, Judah, was within a hair's breadth of destruction. Imagine 300 years of an independent kingdom and temple based in Jerusalem, all hung in the balance. And yet the bad news of God's judgment, which Micah had to share, was tinged with good news of hope, of a future. And Micah holds this together, bad and good news, judgment and grace. In three sections in his prophecy, each beginning with the imperative, hear, listen. In verse 2 of chapter 1, which begins the first section, Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord be a witness against you. And then the second section, in chapter 3, verse 1, also reads, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. And then the final section in the prophecy, which begins in verse 1 of chapter 6, again repeats the imperative, Hear what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Each of these Three sections contains element of judgment followed by parts proclaiming hope and light. In our study, we want to focus on chapter 5, and in particular verses 1 to 5, which forms the hope portion of the second section of the prophecy, which runs from chapter 3, verse 1, through to verse 15 of chapter 5. Largely chapters 3 and 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Let's read these verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Micah 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Chapter 5 opens with the word now. 
And the first thing that we need to do is to be aware of what now means. In Micah's prophecy, there are at least three now horizons. The now of Micah's time, the now of a future time, and the now of beyond future time. Here in the opening verse, verse 1, the now is Micah's immediate time. That is the distressing situation for Judah and Jerusalem. Micah envisages a siege. Now muster your troops, O daughter, which likely refers to Jerusalem, O daughter Jerusalem, for siege is laid against us. For around 20 years, Judah's regional enemies, the Syrians, the Edomites and the the Philistines, had pummeled Judah from all sides. We read of that in the second book of Chronicles in chapter 28. It's detailed. But now, in Micah's time, the Assyrians under Sennacherib, their leader, had appeared from the north having already dismembered the northern kingdom of Israel. And Sennacherib and his army began to mop up the regional towns of Judah. One of these was Lachish, which finally fell in 701 BC after a prolonged siege. The fall of Lachish was depicted by a 21-metre mural which was found in the Assyrian palace in Nineveh on the banks of the Tigris in Mesopotamia, a panel of which is displayed in the British Museum in London, where Sennacherib watches the capture of Lachish. He sits on a throne as prisoners are paraded before him and executed. It's a stunning artefact, from the now of Micah's day. Jerusalem, in the now of verse 1, is under siege. You think of sieges in Syria in recent years, siege of cities like Aleppo and Homs, which were horrific and grueling for those caught up in it. So what hope could there possibly be for Jerusalem in the face of Assyrian aggression? Verse 2. Hope is found in God's ruler who would turn up. But you, O Bethlehem, Epethratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The significance of Bethlehem, one commentator has said, is its very insignificance. Bethlehem is so small, so insignificant, that it is not named among the a hundred or so places in Judah, named in the book of Joshua, chapter 15, when the land was portioned out to the tribes 
of Israel. The term Epaphratha was probably the older name for Bethlehem. And Bethlehem itself (coughs) can be translated the house of bread. It is from this obscure, insignificant place, Bethlehem, a ruler will emerge for me, for God. God's ruler is God's man who will rule over Israel, that is all the land. The reunion of the two nations of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah, is a recurring theme in the minor prophets like Hosea and Micah and the major prophets, substantial works of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. The coming ruler's origin is from old, from ancient days. This is an echo of David, Israel's great king, who also came from Bethlehem. But the coming ruler's origin stretches back even before David which speaks of God himself. But his coming will be not yet. For in verse 3, we read, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Michael Micah looks across another horizon, the not yet. After a period of time in which God's people will feel abandoned by him, like going through a a difficult and demanding pregnancy, and before they ever enjoy the promise of verse 2, the coming ruler, they will experience the abandonment of verse 3, for a time which is indetermined. How will this time like help those besieged in Jerusalem? The hope of a ruler, a coming deliverer, will keep people from losing heart. It's a call to trust the incomparable God who is like the Lord. God who keeps his promises. The biblical record and history confirms that the threat of the impending Assyrian invasion receded in Micah's day. Sennacherib was diverted from the siege of Jerusalem by a strategic emergency, and Jerusalem was spared for over a century. In verse 4, and in the beginning of verse 5, Micah describes what the coming ruler is to bring. Three things. One, security. Two, authority. Three, peace. Security. The ruler of verse 2 will stand and act as a shepherd of his people. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, 
the opening lines of verse 4. He will protect and care for his flock, his people. Authority. The ruler of verse 2 will rule in the strength of Yahweh and in the majesty of the name. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The authority and strength of his rule guarantees the security of his people. Peace. He shall be their peace. And that peace will be worldwide to the ends of the earth, at the end of Verse 4, a universal peace, not just a localized cessation of siege or ceasefire or a temporary arrangement, but a universal peace, all because of the ruler's greatness. And in the face of the threatening now of the Assyrian assault, of the difficult period of divine abandonment, the shepherd, the one who is to come, is their peace. What are we to make of this short and yet startling prophecy? First of all, we need to see, as Micah saw, that is, over the horizon of the Nile. God, in giving Micah this word, enabled him to see to see the immediate, but to look beyond it and to see how God was at work in the world and how he was going to preserve a believing people in a beleaguered city of Judah and Jerusalem in the midst of the turmoil and tumult of the eighth and succeeding centuries to see what is going on in the now and the then. The word of God contained in the scriptures give those who believe in it perspective of seeing and beginning to understand God's timelines and God's purposes for the world. And what is happening now is not random, arbitrary or by chance, but as part of God's hidden design disclosed in his word. We need to see that. Two, we need to see, we need to identify God's ruler. The one who came forth from God in Bethlehem is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was the one proclaimed by angels and identified by the shepherds in the city of David, the one born of Mary, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. He was the one born in the reign of Caesar Augustus under Roman occupation in Bethlehem, who is God's ruler, born to rule to the ends of the earth, not just the local limits. He was the one dismissed by Secular rulers 
and rejected by the religious rulers of his day. But born with authority to rule, his kingdom will have no end. And he possesses all authority to bring security and peace to troubled lives and a troubled world. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God by his cross and we can enjoy his peace. And he is the good shepherd who cares and protects his flock And on the cross, he laid down his life for his sheep. This ruler came in the first century AD and will return again as promised to establish his kingdom, to put things right in the world. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Will you allow Jesus to rule in your life and to bring his peace and await his just and gentle rule when he comes again? And finally, we need to see, to see the importance of insignificance in the ways of God. Micah, as we've said, is an insignificant prophet. Micah came from an insignificant place, Morsheth. Micah prophesied that the Messiah would come from as a place as insignificant as Bethlehem. We dare not dismiss the small, the obscure, the insignificant in God's thinking. Our world today is taken up with greatness, with celebrity, with cool and chic places, the centre of things, rather than the periphery, the edge, the margins. Here in this prophecy of both judgment and hope, we come across a pattern in God's ways. God in the scriptures has a tendency to choose the small, the obscure, the insignificant, the unnoticed as the very people and the very places that he displays the splendor of his glory. And how often we feel small or weak in a world that elevates power and strength when we are tempted to be small. Think of Bethlehem, a small place by world standards, but a place on God's map, a place where the ruler came. Philip Brooks haunting him a little town of Bethlehem says it all. Little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. 
yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee.